Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Today, we're going to come to uh, the next section. Uh, Who would like to read Mark chapter 3? And it's just a few verses today. Mark chapter 3 and verse... um, Sorry, no, Mark chapter 1. What am I talking about? So sorry, I'm just... So future orientated. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 to 20. Six verses. Thanks, Amanda. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men who followed him. Wonderful. And can someone turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11? Luke 5, verse 1 to 11. This is very likely the parallel account of that second bit that we read where Peter gets called. Okay. Josie? Um, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he was, oh, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, great. Thank you, Joyce. Any... Any initial things that jump out when you read that? I know it's probably a familiar story to many of us. There's the general good news, the good news is here, the kingdom of God. And then there's the specific calling of Peter and the first four. Anything in those scriptures that you were like, oh, that's interesting? I was just 
Yes. <laughs> that, that was such like a um, undeniable thing that was happening. It was yeah. like, oh, cool, we caught five fish after you told us to put our nets back out. Right. But like, they're both are sinking with how many fish they yeah. pulled up. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's kind of humorous, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like they're wanting something and God's like, you want something? Here you go. And, and as you said, it's overflowing. Yeah. What else? Mm-hmm. Put out into the deep, yeah. So that you can have a catch. But the language, the quote-unquote, like a put out of the deep, mm-hmm. like Jesus calling us into something. I know as fishermen, that probably wasn't a scary moment to like put out into the deep because they know boats. But like the language of it, like right. go out into the deep, yeah. And I'm gonna give you a catch. It's beautiful. Like really kind of jumped out of me. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I just think about the fact that they were. They were fishermen. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like experts. Mm-hmm. And they don't know Jesus. And so yeah. it just feels like they've been out at it all night. They know the rhythms of the lake. Or they know, they mm-hmm. kind of know what's going on with the Yes, fish. absolutely. So for them to listen to someone they don't know, mm. like you would just be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Away. Absolutely. This is the pro fisherman taking advice from the carpenter. Yeah. It's like, uh, no disrespect, text my thing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Tom. You take advice from Tom. All right, they can join the dots. Well, if you're making me like Jesus, then I will accept that. Just a humble carpenter. No, but that's a huge point which we'll come back to. What, what else? Anyone from over this side? Lily? What jumped out for you? Or Ryan? <laughs> Anything jump out when you read it? Uh, just the, probably immediately the do not be afraid part. And I think it's like, um, I think because it was so like miraculous and it probably could have scared them off. Mm-hmm. Instead, he was just like, yeah, it's good. Don't be yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we read, you've all, ta- you've all hooked onto the story. Whereas the first bit in Mark, half of it was just about announcing good news. But just a little comment. It's interesting how your brain totally is attracted to story because it paints a picture, which is very interesting. But, um, and just to say, you know, my job as a, as a pastor is to equip you for the works of ministry. So the reason that I'm asking you to put your voice in the room is because my job is to equip you. It's not to just feed you. It is to actually get you learning to be a, a, a spiritual adult and not a child who just goes, hi, mate. So, that, so this is an important dynamic we cherish, that you, you can be equipped by God to actually learn to see things and fall in love with the word. There's three things I'm just going to briefly bring out, but they're, kind of, they're all wrapped around this one, this one idea that I... When I read this, uh, particularly the Mark section, and then... Mark is, I, I love it that he's concise and I kind of find it hard sometimes because I'm like, you're missing so much out, Mark. You know, if you hadn't cross-referenced, in fact, not every Bible cross-references the Lucan passage, but it's pretty obvious and most people agree that the, the bit in Mark where it's like, and then Jesus called Peter and he followed him. You're like, why, how, what, that's a bit crazy. Well, the reason probably is because of what we've just read, which suddenly makes a little bit more sense and probably 
Peter's mother-in-law has already been healed by Jesus at this point. If you look at the chronology, Mark doesn't mention that. But you think, okay, that does make a, a, a bit more sense why he left everything to follow him. But there's one, just one sort of point I want us to look at, um, which is this, is that the announcement here, if you look with me, um, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of Jesus. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So it says good news twice in those two sentences. Jesus is saying, after hundreds of years of waiting, the time has come. He said, after 400 years where the Jewish people have had silence from God, the time has now come where everything is shifting. With my presence here, everything is shifting. The kingdom of God is coming. And it's good news. Okay? It's great news. And what I want to say this is the fact that the announcement, this is the big idea, if the announcement that there's good news, did you notice? It's actually in the landscape of a lot of difficulty. It's almost like Jesus is being slightly insensitive. John is in prison. He's going to a place called Galilee, which is like Nowheresville. It's very much a sort of secondary peripheral place. It's not the center. There's a lot of difficult things going on. And as we're saying, as we've just read, you know, Peter's been up all night working his tail off and he's not hitting the deadline. It's, it's a nightmare. So there's a lot of difficult things. And then you've got this sort of picture of Jesus, apparently obliviously, to all of the difficulty they're facing, saying, even though you're facing so much difficulty, O sanctuary, even now you're here, but there's a battle in your heart and in your mind with what's coming up this week and what's happened this week, and there's so many difficult things. The big idea is this, is that Jesus is showing the good news is so good and so powerful that rather than necessarily removing the difficulty, it is able to empower and change your soul even within it. Even within it. And we're going to see that Jesus does sometimes change the situation like we saw with the fish. But he often doesn't. The idea here is that this is an announcement and a proclamation and remember, what, what was the, what, how could we summarise the good news? What did we learn last time, a week or two ago, whenever it was, house church in our house? When Jesus was baptised, goes down, comes up, and the father says, this is my son, my beloved son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. What were the three Ps that I said that you could summarise that announcement as? We see Jesus is drenched in water, and his father is, number one, proud of him and number two he's he says who I love and what is the definition of love 1 Corinthians 13 love is patient. patient so at very least he's saying I'm proud of him and I'm patient with him and then with whom I'm well pleased he takes blah, 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 pleasure and we were starting to say this is such a we hear the good news, we hear this idea of the kingdom of God's here, it's good news, yeah, 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 it doesn't affect us. Think of that moment, Jesus drenched in water and his father bellowing out saying, I'm proud of you. I like to be associated with you and I'm so patient with you, even though you're not patient with yourself. 
the inner critic is, is always like that. And I take pleasure in you. And we were saying a couple of weeks ago that, that if, if we can just begin as Christ followers in Christ to know our Father says over us, I am, I, I am proud of you and I take pleasure in you and I'm, and I'm patient with you, then suddenly your life starts to change. Your life starts to become just a little bit more robust even when there's difficult days. So what he's now doing is, I think he's continuing to demonstrate, this is Jesus, when Jesus says kingdom of God, what he means is my father loves me and he's proud of me, he's patient with me, he takes pleasure in me. Woohoo! This is the flavor of Jesus, the kingdom is here, look at me. And now, oh church, this is available for you, for you Sam, for you Angus, for you Dan, for you Ryan. The joy, I'm gonna go through a living hell over the next few years, but guess what? The kingdom of God is here amidst it, and I'm going to show it to you. What does he do next? He goes into a desert for 40 days. He's fighting wild beasts. He's got Satan himself. And yet because Jesus is filled up with these three, this sort of trinity of glorious truth, that my father is proud of me, and he's patient with me, and he takes pleasure in me. Those temptations are nowhere near as powerful, and that is why Jesus was able to overcome them. So Jesus has modelled the reality of this good news amidst dark days. And now he's continuing to like massage that truth into our minds so that we can go, oh, so the Christian life is not about God taking me out of the dark days necessarily. It's the bold claim that his kingdom is so amazing. This truth that I am, that God is patient with me and he, he sees me and he's, He's proud of me. That should sustain me through it. So let me just show three quick examples, almost three difficult situations where this good news is going to work, even right here. First of them, you may have, uh, you may have not noticed it, but verse 14, look at the context. After John was put in prison. Now, John was Jesus' cousin, it says there was no one greater that born uh, than John the Baptist. He was a hugely influential man, and he had actually been preparing the way for Jesus. So this is a very special friend to Jesus, right? And if I read that, I would have imagined it would have said, um, you know, and after John was put in prison, Jesus, hearing the news, was shocked and started a petition and went to the place where he was imprisoned and pleaded with the authorities to get him out. And they had a prayer meeting and they were really bothered about this. Jesus wept and everyone was in turmoil because this incredibly kind, humble man was put in prison. No, it doesn't say that. It just says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and he proclaimed the good news. And there's this almost apparent insensitivity of Jesus to this devastating news. John is imprisoned and we know how it ends. His head is chopped off on the whim of a, of, a, of, a, of a teenage girl, or, or the mother of a teenage girl who gets him beheaded. This incredibly humble man. Think of someone almost like Mother Teresa, or someone really incredibly saintly, ends in a terrible way. So why is it that we, we see here that Jesus, even though he knows his dear friend and cousin is now imprisoned, about to go to and ultimately die, he still says, even though, He's imprisoned, and, and I don't want that. 
It is still good news because I know John knows what it is to know a father who is proud of him and who is patient with him and who takes pleasure in him. It's almost like, you know, Jesus knows that, yeah, physically he's in a bad place, but he'll be okay because he knows the kingdom. He knows the inner truth of my God. You see, when we are imprisoned in your life, we desperately want God to set us free, right? You might feel imprisoned, not probably literally, but you may feel imprisoned socially. You may feel like you're in a kind of prison where you just you, you can't get out. Or even imprisoned physically. You know? There's physical things that are just really hard about your life. Or, or, or imprisoned, I don't know, emotionally. Sometimes we can be imprisoned by depression or anxiety or there's been times where I've felt imprisoned by my up and downness you know I look at others who are so stable and I think darn it I love you Tim I love you Tim so much but I hate you Tim no I don't hate you I'm just like Tim's so steady steady Eddie and I'm just like man I feel imprisoned I'm growing becoming more like this but it is a lot of you know a lot of work Sometimes we can feel imprisoned in so many ways. You know, you can feel imprisoned in your work. How many people hit midlife and they're like, oh my gosh, why am I even, why am I even doing this? I mean, come on, this city is filled with people who come here thinking that here is going to be the place that will fill my soul and make me, and they go, oh my gosh. It doesn't do that. And actually, I've, I've now changed jobs so many times. I feel imprisoned in this truth that job's going to save me. It's not saving me. I don't know what to do. We can be the richest people in the world and feel completely enslaved. Amen? It's true. And, and we want Jesus to deliver us. And we cry Jesus to deliver us. And sometimes he does, but sometimes he doesn't. So let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life where you feel a little bit trapped? right now just something that you feel like I just I don't feel like I can control this <laughs> I mean I've got things going on that I just feel like man I've tried every different ninja move to try and wiggle my way out of this and I, I can't and you know without violating things that you know are not right and so you you know you get to this point where you've kind of You've tried all your climbing moves out of the pit and you're, da, 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 you know, and you're like, oh, no, I'm, I think I'm meant to be here. Somehow in the sovereignty of God, there is some purpose going on. So let me ask you that question. Is there an area of your life that you feel somewhat imprisoned in? Because the amazing news is, is that even within that place, there is the absolute hope and offer of incredible power to be, I'm not saying it's easy, I don't want to be like, you know, uh, insensitive, but if you and I can just allow God's, you know, some little tiny bit more of, of that sense of my father is proud of me, he's patient with me, and he takes pleasure in me. That prison maybe isn't quite so gloomy. Amen? I mean, how many times do we... I mean, I know we're in the land of the free. 
And I'm touching a big thing here, friends. I know, I know my ancestors weren't wanted here. I get it. Off with the king. I get it. We want to be free. And I'm not against freedom, but you know, what it's saying is, is freedom the ultimate value? What does that actually even mean? Because Jesus was, in a sense, imprisoned by the will of the Father, wasn't he? Not my will, but your will. Submission. Submission is not a popular word, is it? We're going to look at that in next week, actually, a little bit. Authority, and, but it's here. John the Baptist, no matter how much he prayed, no matter how many, how many petitions, you know, he, this, was, this was God's sovereign will for him. So it's hard, but it's beautiful when you realize maybe the solution is here inside. Secondarily, though, there is also there is good news for the inferior. Now, again, uh, I've read this a few times, 100 times, and I've never noticed this, but notice it says Jesus went into Galilee. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, why is that significant? Who can tell me what, what's the one thing that we always, everyone always talks about Galilee? Don't overthink it. It's not a hard question. There's a sea? Are you absolutely right? Yes, that's, that's one very good one, actually. What else about Galilee? Anything else? You, they were like, oh, Galilee. Absolutely. Literally, there was a saying. I mean, that's... I was trying, I was, I was, I was wondering whether to use like modern day city equivalents. I thought, I won't do that. I'm bound to say somewhere that someone's, I'm from there. Um, but you get, yeah, I won't say it. <laughs> um, but it, but it's, it's so profound. Again, every detail is spirit led. You know, it says, Jesus went into Galilee. So he's going a place where people have a chip on their shoulder. All right. You know, we live two years in the Central Valley, publicly from the front, I've heard it said several times, this is known as the armpit of San Francisco. California. Sorry, <laughs> of California. And there's a sense of like, that's not how Jesus sees us. But there's also a sense in which that's, that's a felt reality. Now, without getting into the whole geographical thing, goodness me, we're better than you and all that rubbish. The, the, the point here is profound. The announcement of the good news, and remember what we're saying this good news is, it's not just vague, it's that you can know the Father, that he is proud of you. Say, proud of me. me. Get used to saying that. He's proud of me, even if I'm imprisoned and I don't feel very impressive. He's proud of me. He's patient with me. And he takes pleasure in me. This is, this is, if you were to say, what is the good news in that context? What does Jesus mean? Well, it definitely means at least that that what he has lived in for eternity with his father is now available to you. I know this is house church and I need to stay refined and sitting down, but, <laughs> but it's hard to do that when you're, that's kind of extraordinary. <clears throat> he, what you mean, Jesus, the father knows my name, Tom? Yeah, he flipping does. He really does. He loves you, he adores you. And that truth, 1% of that in my little hard heart just can help, not just when I feel imprisoned, but when I feel inferior, where is the Galilee of your life? Now, I know you, most of us live in the Bay, so we all feel terribly superior, and we all work for famous companies. Not all of us do, you know what I'm saying? And that's not bad, actually, because work is a calling, and I want to say this, you're called to what you're doing. That's a whole other sermon series, but I just want to say, I am not dismissing that. It's a might, but what I'm saying is, is, even for those of us who work in that world, and we can say, I work at this place, 
or I live in this place. Deep in your heart, there's a bit of that Galilee. There's those areas that you know you feel a bit ashamed of. You know you shouldn't do, but you just do. You feel a bit inferior. Maybe it's because of your gender. Maybe it's because of your age. Maybe it's because of your family of origin. I carry a bit of shame over this, right? I feel a bit inferior. I feel so intellectually inferior. I went to a pretty academic school and I was like, yeah, pretty smart. And then I live here for 10 minutes and everyone's freakishly clever, or most people. And I kind of, you know, I have to really like not, not feel thick. You know, I can't speak in Latin for an hour. Uh, I, I remember one phrase from five years of Latin. Coquus in Kalina est. The cookies in the kitchen. You know, that's all I can say. It's so embarrassing. So let me ask you this question. Is it good news even when you feel inferior? Yeah, I mean, this is profound. He doesn't take the good news just to Jerusalem. He eventually gets to Jerusalem. He eventually gets to the the cool, groovy place that fixes everyone's dreams, not. But he starts in Nowheresville. And that's profound. Where is it in your life that you, you would long for that not to be there? But actually God's saying, I am enough for you, my friend, even in those areas of your life. That you can almost boast in your Galileaness. You can almost boast in your weakness. I am from, da-da. I lived in a council house growing up. It wasn't cool. It wasn't, you know, whatever it might be. This is important. This is why we, one of our little mantras as a church plant is this. I am average. <gasps> Let's say it again. We say it most weeks. One, two, three. I am average. And I tell you, this sounds funny, but with my family, I am regularly saying that. You are adored by the king of the universe. And if you know Jesus, if you're in Jesus, you can say, he's proud of me. He is patient with me. And he takes pleasure in me. And nothing can top that. Amen? I don't care how successful you are ultimately in work, which is ultimately a gift of God anyway. I celebrate that. But what he's saying here in the very earthiness of this blue-collar Galilee Nowheresville, in that earthiness, the king of glory walks on planet earth and gives dignity to every single man, woman, and child. Hallelujah. Just to be a human means you're made in the image of God. And he's saying, no, no. You know, that battle that we all feel of comparison, where you feel inferior, I know you're in this room and it brings it up. And I want to say, well done. For, for not giving into that. Because community brings up comparison with all of us. It really does. And the enemy loves it. So if it's there, just, I just want to say well done for pushing through that and being here today. Oh, I'm, I'm not so chatty. I find these places so difficult. I'm not like that person who's just able to just effortlessly talk to people. Hey, listen, well done. God is proud of you. I really mean he's proud of you. He takes pleasure in you. When you don't let those Galilee areas of your life, those areas that would try and shame you into passivity. Well done, brother. Well done, sister. Whatever that might be. Those who lay down individualism, which is an absolute epidemic in this nation. It's about me. No, no, it's about we. To lay down consumerism, which is it's about what I get. I'm going to go to church once a month and get a 90-minute talk or a 90-minute experience. No, no, it's about serving. It's about coming together and they serve because of what Jesus has done. 
they're fishermen together. There's an us thing brought together to go out and to fish for people. I love this. It's so radical. It's so different to what, honestly, most of us often think about in terms of what it is to be a, you know, a Christian in the Western world. But for them, it's like, oh, to, to, to follow Jesus is, well, he's God. That means there is this leaving. So let me ask you this question. What has leaving, left, leaving looked like for you in your life? Because there's a sense in which the Christian is always going around and rehearsing and refining the leaving process. The leaving of the things that we used to be so closely associated with. Leaving it in order to follow him, not to be an individual who consumes, but to be part of a company of fishermen and women, the church, who joyfully, in light of what Jesus has done, we serve with him. Trusting the promise that it's more blessed to serve than it is to be served. Trusting him. That is what the church is. That's the sacred birthing of the people of God. That we follow the Jesus who gave so much and we say, wow, a bit like Peter. I may not have got all these fish, but when you hung on the cross, you absorbed the wrath that I should have absorbed. When you rose from the dead, I get resurrection life now. This life is a blink of an eye. For all eternity, I'm going to be with this resurrected king, all because of the free gift of God. Yes, I might not have got lots of fish. And obviously, many of us in this room have. We have an awful lot of wealth compared with the rest of the world. We've got that and spiritual wealth. And so we say, yeah, I I want to be someone who again and again learns to leave the things that cling, right? And it's hard. I get this, man. Golly. The call of being a Christian is not easy. If you've been told that's a lie, it is glorious and difficult. It really is both. And this is where we land. The only way that Peter, James, John and Andrew could do this. What was the only... These normal guys like me and you, okay, just want to live a normal life for themselves. How did they become radically different? What happened? We've already said it many times. Who did they meet? Jesus. So... To, to, to make it, to, to, to end on an obvious point, the, you, should, you, should, you should read the Gospels and go, I mean, when, when, my big, when my dear friend, who I'll keep private just for now, came to faith recently, he was like, man, this good news is terrifying. Jesus, isn't, he's terrifying. And it is good news, and it's also terrifying news. And that is true. It is a false gospel if you just think Jesus is there just to help you and make your life easy. That is a false gospel. It's really big deal. It's heresy. It's demonic. It's not of God. It's, and, I, and I say that because it is absolutely the air we breathe in one version or another to follow Christ, to dare to say, I am a Christian, so I should look a bit like Christ. Oh, that's scary. I'm going to look a bit like Christ. That means a life of joyful sacrifice. Joyful sacrifice. Now, I know it's. I know I want to punch the air and woohoo! Let's rock and roll as we go into the into our work this week. But actually, the gospel always both. It's always both. It convicts. It should convict us daily, but it also lifts our gaze to say, "Well, Jesus, <laughs> you know me." I'm totally narcissistic, self-absorbed, weak, fragile. I'm not a rock star hero. I, am, I need you. I need you every day. I need a tiny taste of what Peter had 
in that moment. And can I say this, and I'll finish with this. That hunger to, to say, Jesus, I, I know it's not a small thing to say I'm a Christian. To bear the name of Christ to my neighbours, my friends, who generally think Christians are hypocrites and unkind and, you know, homophobic. If I'm going to show one other human something of the divine nature of God who's kind and, and, and radical and, and merciful, I'm going to need your, your daily impartation of the Spirit. It can't just be information. It needs to be in my bones, in my soul, a thing of God. So if you feel that now, that almost slight desperation, good. That's what the gospel does. It gets you daily on your knees to say, I can't do this. I can't. It's not about moralism. It's, not about, it's about God helping me to overcome the things that want to drag me back. So we're gonna, in a moment, we're going to sing a song, Lord, I Need You, the one that came to mind. Um, Tim's going to lead us into communion, which is a wonderful way of helping us say,